This morning I titled my message, The Allure of the Forbidden. Now, don't take that in the wrong way to think that, you know, we're supposed to be drawn to those things that are forbidden, but it's a negative thing. There is, I don't know why, but we always have that tendency, or mankind has a tendency to be allured to things that we should not be allured to. I'm going back to Genesis again this morning. Last uh, Sabbath I preached about creation and the awesomeness of God's creation. Um, Genesis chapter 1. I thought I might do not an entire series through Genesis, but do some highlights through Genesis. Pick some, some of the, the, the good or the things that, you know, I just feel that the Lord will uh, show me what He wants me to preach from Genesis because there's a lot of amazing uh, examples of God's uh, relationship with men and women in Genesis. So I might do a, you know, a kind of a mini highlighted series of, through Genesis. This morning we're going to Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 19. Let's go ahead and we'll have the, uh, read the scripture, then we'll have a prayer. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, eat of it your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked. And they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then God called to Adam and said to him, Where are you? My friends, God knew where they were. You cannot hide from God. But God will sometimes ask the question to make us face the facts. To be honest to give us an opportunity to confess our sins, right? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, The woman who you gave to be with me, she gave to me of the tree, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the woman, What is this that you have done? The woman said, The serpent deceived me, and I ate. My friends, we can see with the first man and woman that God created that they knew how to blame others, didn't they? And it has continued from generation to generation, hasn't it? When we got in trouble, what's the first thing we want to do? Is point a finger at someone else and blame them. So they played the blame game. Verse 14, So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go, and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise, you shall bruise his heel. 
To the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten from the tree on which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat of it, cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat, it, you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you shall return. May God add his blessings to the hearing and the reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Gracious Father, we thank you for your holy word. We thank you, Father, that your word reveals to us your relationship with mankind, reveals your, your creation, and Father, it just reveals also your grace and how you deal so kindly and gracious to us. Even whenever we disobey you, Father, we can still see your kindness. And Father, we just, again, we thank you for your word. We pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit would be upon us today, Father, that you would open our hearts to receive what you have for us. Father, I pray that every word spoken would be for your glory and for your honor. Father, that it would just touch our ears and that we would receive it. In Jesus' name, amen. So we want to begin, or I want to begin, by making sure we properly identify the serpent. The serpent. It says that a serpent came to Eve and tempted her. Well, my friends, that serpent was none other than Satan. It was Satan, it was the devil disguised as a serpent. The scriptures reveal that Satan has the ability to transform or disguise himself in order to deceive. 1 Corinthians 11, 13-15 says, For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, transforming themselves into apostles of Christ. And no wonder for Satan himself transforms himself into an angel of light. Therefore, it is no great thing if his ministers, ministers also transform themselves into ministers of righteousness, whose end will be according to their works. So even there are ministers that are actually working for Satan. Genesis said the serpent was more cunning than any beast. Cunning by, by definition means to have the skill to achieve one's ends by deceit or by evasion. So we know that he is the great deceiver. He has come to deceive the world, to try to turn them away from God. So we can go from Genesis to Revelation. In Revelation 12, 7 through 9, it says, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against a dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, so you see it goes back, there we find the answer, right? That serpent of old called the devil and Satan who deceives the world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. So make no mistake, the serpent is de the devil. It is Satan who tempted Eve. Now I don't know why the devil chose to appear as a serpent, but there's no doubt that it was him. And that account found in Genesis, if it, my friends, it is real. The temptation, the fall, is not just an allegory. It was an actual event that actually happened as the Scriptures revealed that it happened. It's not just a story. 
Now, I don't mention all these abilities that Satan has to give him any kind of glory whatsoever. But one must know their enemy. They must know their enemy. They must recognize them. They must know their abilities. If, you, if a, a nation is going to go to war against another nation, they want, to know their, they want to know their enemy. They want to know what abilities they have to be able to counteract those abilities. Satan is an enemy of God and he is an enemy of the church. He is stupid in that he allowed his pride to cause him to get cast out of heaven. But he is not stupid in his work of deceiving the people of the earth. He is not stupid in tempting mankind to rebel against. He is stupid, but he's not stupid in the tactics that he uses. So we must be aware of the tactics that he uses so we can stand against him. He was wise enough to tempt the woman instead of speaking directly to Adam. Now women, give me a chance to defend this. I knew, I knew I'd get a chuckle of that. Give me a chance. The woman did not receive the direct command from God herself. She did not receive it directly from God. God did not say to her, do not eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. She got it from her husband Adam, who heard it directly from God. So she got it second hand. Genesis 2, 15-18 says, Then the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden, to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. So you see, he gave that command, then created, then took the rib out of Adam and closed up the hole and made woman. So she did not hear this command directly from God. And then also in Eve's defense, there is the fact that up to this point, Eve had never heard a falsehood. Think about that for a moment. She had never heard a lie. She's never heard a falsehood. She had only heard truth. She would not have had the experience to even recognize if someone or something was lying to her. So that's how she was easily misled. You know, children, when they are young, they're, you know, what did Adam say? Why did they hide? Because they found out they was naked, right? Before that, they was among they would just wander through the garden, tend the garden, both naked, had no idea they was even naked because of their innocence. But after they ate, they knew. You know, take a child when they're very young. They'll go, it doesn't matter if there's even guests in the house, neighbors in the house, that young child will go running through the house naked. And just woohoo, this is this is fun because of the innocence. Right? I have one that I'm looking at because I know she liked to run through the house naked. <laughs> She's sitting by her nan. <laughs> but as they get older, they realize, they get the experience, they recognize evil. They, maybe I shouldn't do that anymore. I'm 10 now. Maybe I shouldn't run through the house naked, right? <laughs> Most people will believe that when someone tells them something, that it's true. 
Now, I'm not talking about politicians here. But we tend to believe, at least we want to believe, that when someone tells us something, that they're being honest with us. But though experience will teach us that there are some people that are most often not honest with us. If you've been around long enough, you probably know someone like that. You know, after working 40 years at the railroad, there was a few guys that we would describe them as, you know how so-and-so, how to know when so-and-so's lying? Their lips are moving. I mean, we had a couple guys that if their lips was moving, they most likely was telling you a lie. Eve did not have that experience. So maybe we could go a little bit easier on Eve, right? But there's another thing too. Eve got it second hand, right? She got it second hand. So, she got it from Adam. I'm going to jump ahead of myself a little bit here. By experience, so now you women, you've got experience. By experience, most women know by now, thousands of years after Eve, that men do not always have the best communication skills, do we? Right? These women, most of you... Listen and know that, right? Men do not have the best communication skills. So you can almost imagine Adam, they're tending the garden, whether they're picking fruit, whatever, and Adam saying, hey, oh, by the way, Eve, see that tree over in the middle of the garden? Don't eat from it, don't touch it, or you're going to die. And just going back and picking the fruit, right? Because we have not always been the best communicators. The devil took God's positive command that said, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. And he twisted it around. My friends, he still does the same thing today. He takes God's word and twists it around. And he asked, did God indeed say that you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He added that little word in there, not. One little word made all the difference. Did God really say that you shall not eat of every tree? Listen to Eve's response again. The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Two things we must note from those verses. First, she calls the tree the tree in the midst of the garden. So instead of calling it by name the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and then also she said, you shall not touch it. God did not say that. She appears to have added that part. It could be that, again, that you know, Adam and his poor job of relating it, maybe he told her that. Commentator Adam Clark says that some Jewish writers state that as soon as Eve said that you shall not touch it, that the serpent pushed her against the tree and said, see, you have touched it, and you're still alive. So therefore, it's safe to eat. Surely you will not die. Now that's just speculation. They say that could have happened. It's an interesting idea. But we do know that she saw that it was good. Then the serpent said to the woman, You shall not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God knowing good and evil. That's where Satan gets his foot the rest of the way in the door 
of her mind. You shall not die. Surely you won't die. Planting that seed of doubt. Doubt about the consequences of sin. And he is using that same tactic today. Doubting people that God will punish sin. God is a loving God. Surely he will not punish you for your sins, your unrepented sins. And he's enticing her to gain more knowledge. Who wouldn't desire more knowledge, right? God knows if you eat of that, you're going to gain all this knowledge. So he's convinced her that God was withholding something good from her. And friends, this grand scheme has worked so well. It worked so well in the beginning that Satan has continued to use this generation after generation after generation. What he did was he got Eve to take her eyes off the, the many things that God had given her and focus on that one thing, that forbidden thing that she couldn't have. The allure of the forbidden. Let's, let's use the knowledge of the trees that we have today. So God said you can eat of every tree of the garden but the one. So He says you can eat of the plum tree, the pear tree, the peach tree, the fig tree, the banana tree, the pineapple tree, the coconut tree, the nectarine tree, the cherry tree, the orange, the grapefruit, the mangoes, the lemons, the apricots, the almonds, the pomegranates, the avocado, the lime, the olive, the cashew, the pecan, the chestnut. That's all I got the breath for. But I could go on, right? There's many more. I don't know what they called them. But look at all of these that God said. You can eat of all of them. Anytime you want. And the tree of life. But there's that one. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So instead of keeping their eyes on all that God had given them, they allowed the deceiver to trick them to be drawn to the one thing that was forbidden. The one thing. Every generation that follows has had that allure to the forbidden. The allure the attraction, the enticement of that thing that we shouldn't have. My friend, Satan has destroyed millions and millions of marriages, should say millions of families, using the same weapons. Let's just use husbands, tricking husbands to take their eyes off of all that they have. That beautiful wife, that kind wife, that family, the children their home, their careers, taking their eyes off all that they do have and thinking, well, I'm getting kind of tired of her. I'm not getting the attention I used to get whenever we first got married. Well, she's got three or four kids she's watching after now and cleaning the house. But that husband thinks, well, I'm just not getting that attention. So he looks elsewhere to that forbidden. He lusts after that which he shouldn't have. My grandfather, when we first got married, they came to visit. And we, in the first year of our marriage, I know. And we married 42 years. Well, he gave me some advice that it was a wee bit ornery. But he, he, I was outside, we were outside doing something. And Grandpa says, son, he goes, I want to talk to you a little bit about marriage. He said, you know, he says, women, he said, if you... Just turn them around and look at them from behind. He says, you're, you know, some's a little wider, some's a little narrow, it's a little taller, a little shorter. He says, but they're basically the same. He said, now, don't take this wrong. He said, keep the one you got. He says, and if you run into trouble as you go through this marriage, you work things out. 
Don't think that you're going to find another woman that's going to make you happy because you'll have the same problems with the next one. It's basically what he was saying in a nutshell. And there was more to it, but it was good advice. Stick it out. Work through it. Because if you leave her, you find another one, then you'll have the same problems then. Then you'll be looking for another one. Be content with what you have. Hebrews 13, 4-5 says, Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We are commanded by God to not covet, to be content with what we have. Don't look to that which we don't have, but let's look to all that God has given us, that all that we already have. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 7. It says, If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Therefore put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. God will judge. We must remember that. Eve allowed Satan to blind her eyes by the allure of the, forbi- of the forbidden. Uh, the, by the allure of the forbidden. He blinded her eyes to the consequences of rebelling against God. The devil does not want the world to know that there is consequences to sin. But there is. There's consequences to sin unless we repent and come to Jesus Christ. The late radio personality Paul Harvey, Paul Harvey told the story of how an Eskimo would kill a wolf. The account is a little bit grisly, but yet it offers fresh insight into, into the consuming, destructive nature of sin. He says, first, the Eskimo coats his knife blade with animal blood and allows it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood, allows it to freeze. Adds some more blood, allows it to freeze. Some more blood and allows it to freeze until the blade is completely concealed by the frozen blood. Then next, he takes the knife blade out and plants it in the ground with the blade up. When the wolf follows his sensitive nose to the source of the scent and discovers the bait, he licks it, tastes the fresh frozen blood. He begins to lick faster and more vigorously, lapping the blade until the keen edge is bare. Feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf licks the blade in the Arctic night. So great becomes his craving for blood that the wolf does not notice the razor-sharp sting of the naked blade on his own tongue. Nor does he recognize the instant in which the insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves more until the dawn dawn finds him dead in the snow. It is a fearful thing that people can be consumed by their own lust. Only God's grace keeps us from the wolf's fate. 
There is consequences. There is penalty for sin. They, Adam and Eve, they may not have died immediately upon eating the fruit of the tree, but they surely began to die. The moment that they allowed sin to enter in, they allowed sickness and disease to enter into mankind. They began to die that day. But they also experienced other consequences to their sin. Before rebelling, they, walk, they would walk with God. Uh, Alright, I better back up. Before rebelling, they would walk with God, God in the garden. But now, again, they knew they were naked. And they had to hide themselves because they were ashamed. They heard the sound of God. And they hid. They hid themselves because of their nakedness. Because they knew that they had disobeyed God, that they had rebelled against Him. My friends, the greatest consequence is the separation from God. But there are other consequences also. Remember, to the woman He said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow in your conception. In pain you shall bring forth children. Your desire shall be for your husband, and he shall rule over you. Then to Adam He said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife, and have eaten of the tree, which I commanded you, saying, You shall not eat it. Cursed is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And you shall eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Think of those consequences. Not only were they going to die, but the woman would be in great pain giving child. Childbirth. And then there's Adam tending the garden. He went from tender to toiler. I don't know what tending meant when there was no weeds, but it was not by the sweat of his brow. He leisurely ate of the fruit of the garden, he enjoyed tending the garden, whatever that looked like. I don't know what it looks like because all we have is thorns and thistles and weeds. Thanks to Him. I wonder when He was toiling in the garden afterwards if He thought, oh, if I had only obeyed God. If only. Wiping the sweat from His brow. If only I would have obeyed God, obeyed His command, and listened to Him. If only. I wonder how many if onlys he spoke during the rest of his life. But you know, God's grace is also evident in this account, in his dealing with Adam and Eve. Yes, she may have had pain, but she was still blessed to have children, still blessed to have a large family and be the mother of creation from which all have come from. He was still blessed to be able to have a garden and supply food for his family. So the entire account still reveals God's mercy and His grace. It reveals God's goodness and that He give man the freedom to choose. The freedom to choose. Because if God did not place that tree in the garden, then it would have been forced obedience. And that's, my friend, is not love. That's like someone kidnapping a woman and saying, I'm going to force you to love me. My friends, it don't work that way. Love has to be free. 
John 14, 5 says, If you love me, keep my commandments. If we love Him, we will do what He says we should do, and we won't do what He says we ought not do. Mankind, as in Adam, will all die. But praise the Lord that God sees us now through Christ Jesus whenever we repent of our sins and believe in His Son. Praise the Lord that God allowed Christ to suffer upon that cross in our place that we can become the righteousness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5, 16-18 says, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have come, become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to Himself through Christ Jesus, or Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. My friends, I truly believe that God will not withhold anything good from us. I believe that. And as, you know, thinking back to Adam and Eve, if they would have just been patient and just obeyed God and not ate of the tree of the knowledge, God would have revealed all the good that they would have asked for. God would have given them the knowledge of everything good as they walked in the garden. And I believe that because the Scriptures reveal that God will give good to those who are upright. You do not have that one on the screen, this one on the screen. Psalms 84, 10 through 12. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand. The song says, a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord will give grace and glory. No good thing will He withhold from those who walk uprightly. Friends, receive that. No good thing will God withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the man who trusts in you. My friends, if they would have just trusted, God would have given them, He had given them everything good and wanted them to not have the evil, the knowledge of the evil. But friends, God wants to give you good, but He also wants you to walk uprightly. And we can only walk uprightly by His righteousness in us, by the power of His Holy Spirit in us. We can be made righteous and holy before Him because He sees us through Jesus Christ. Amen?